I think Shark Tank, uh, to me, represents transformation. It represents yeah. transcendence. Right? It's like glorious to sit in front of somebody and watch them having gone through that and realize what they went through in their journey from employee to employer. You're listening to an Apex Mindset episode of the RCN podcast, where we learn from inspiring individuals who push the boundaries to reach extreme levels of success. Apex Mindset. Elevate your life. On this Apex Mindset episode of the RCN podcast, the businessman, author, co-founder, and CEO of RSE Ventures, Matt Higgins. Anyone who has ever achieved greatness, as I know you will, first has to slay that beast. If you master the internal dialogue in your mind, you will accomplish anything you want. I understand this market. I have the ability to talk to the customer that you're targeting because I'm vice chairman of Miami Dolphins. I spend my Sundays at NFL games. We have the largest privately owned soccer tournament in the world. I would say to yourself, if you want to, if you have a little bit of time to meditate and reflect, think about those lasting changes that are about optimizations that were uh, revealed during this eight-week period. Those are going to stay with us. And does that open up new opportunities? So what I'd like to start with is introducing you to our network um, by letting you kind of give your short story. Um, you know, what's your what's your background? Where are you from? And then maybe the short story of of what took you from childhood childhood kind of to where you are today. Well, that's a lot to digest. I'm going to have to give you the uh, the Cliff Notes version, but Cliff Notes. I I'm a lifelong New Yorker. Uh, I grew up in Queens, and a very kind of hard scrabble story. Uh, yep. Born uh, to a single mom. And uh, which has really defined who I've become and what I saw, you know, I can't unsee from what I grew up in. And it just yes. sort of drives me a lot, motivates me, um, not just to sort of a little bit of chip on my shoulder, but to also give back. So grew up in Queens, uh, un unconventional education. I was working nonstop as a kid, working at a deli on Woodhaven Boulevard in Queens and working at a McDonald's, scraping gum and hawking flowers on street corners and handbags at the Roosevelt Field Flea Market, for those who may know, in Long Island. And then um, I had an epiphany early on that the system really wasn't set up for people like me, for people with an unconventional family at home, with a sick mother who was sort of in desperate poverty. And it was the first time I had a realization that when the system isn't set up for you, you need to kind of make up your own rules, right? And that you can either submit to the system and feel frustrated that it's not designed, right? How do you go to school from 8.30 a.m. to 2.30 yeah. p.m. when you're working overnight at a deli? Yeah. Or you could find a word, find another way. So I had an epiphany early on when I was a kid. I'm going to drop out of high school, I'm going to get my GD, and I'm going to go to college at 16 years old. And the reason why it was so important is as a college student, you could put college student on your application and go from making, I think I was making $5 an hour at the, at the, uh, at the deli to making $10 an hour. That was the whole epiphany. And it was a really hard decision to make because everyone said, you're going to be branded a loser for your entire life. It was just so unorthodox. But yeah. something inside me told me that when when you, people don't have context into what you're dealing with or what you're facing and also what you see out into the distance, very yeah. dangerous to outsource your intuition to another. Right? It was the first time I had to, as a little as a kid, sit on the steps of Cardoza High School and say, like, all right, on the one hand, I've got the whole world telling me you're making a, a critical mistake. But on the other, they don't have any context into my personal life. They also don't see what I see. I see an opening. I yeah. see an arbitrage that, I, that I'm going to run through by taking this step. And I yep. believe that a lifelong of success will enable me to basically cover up 
you know, the, the, the decision, right? The stigma of being a dropout will be erased by the track record that comes next. And so that's what I did. And that, that one decision was set in motion a lifetime of being willing to be out on the bleeding edge and yep. to be comfortable being alone for a while until other people catch up. And yeah. it's probably the most important thing I ever did in my life because that, I think once you, once you, I call it the reach, like once you sort of reach out into the distance and sort of try to make that leap when you're not really sure what's beneath you, but you do it and it works out, then you go further and further afield, oh, yeah. right? Like you make bigger and bigger reaches. So the long and the short of the story, career in New York, I went from journalism to sports to overseeing the New York Jets. I eventually became press secretary to the mayor of New York on 9-11 yeah. and was one of the first employees to oversee the rebuilding of the Trade Center, Yeah, uh, transitioned into sports, ran the business of the Jets, and then went out on my own as an entrepreneur in partnership with Steve Ross. So my, my world is, a, is now, it used to be a hybrid. Now it's a, whatever the word is for dividing in eight different ways. I'm sure it's one of the engineers. <laughs> that but my world is that thing that's bifurcated, bifurcated, you know, it's an eightfold. But I oversee the Dolphins as a vice chairman of the team on the business side. Uh, and then I, at the same time, have a private uh, venture firm with Steve Ross yep. where we incubate, uh, less so now, but in the early days, or we invest in companies, significant positions where I like to think we supply the missing ingredient for that founder to go the rest yeah. of the way there, right? I like to be the missing puzzle piece, that, yeah. that one last piece. I'm kind of an anonymous puzzle piece, you know, and like you, you can't really tell where it goes, but you know that once it fits, it makes the entire thing work. Oh, and sure. we have numerous companies in our portfolio, probably 20. So yeah. I think what makes us a little bit different, what makes me a little bit different is that I architected my life from scratch. I build companies from scratch. So when I invest in a business with a founder, you know, I'm not some analyst staring at a spreadsheet, although we need those two. But I know yep. the answers don't aren't to be found in a spreadsheet. They'll be found out there in the real world. And so yeah. I think it's a little bit different, very founder driven. And, and I'm on Shark Tank, which is just for fun. Yeah. I love the show. And then I teach at a Harvard Business School on uh, direct-to-consumer businesses. So a lot of different yeah. things, a lot of different balls in the air. And now I'm talking to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, let's jump into a couple of questions while you're there on Shark Tank. I know that's one that obviously uh, you're in front of a lot of people there. And like you mentioned, um, you've you've worked with VaynerMedia, your partners with Gary there. Um, I want to I want to hear a little bit about Shark Tank and then maybe even a little on the media side. And I know you're working on LinkedIn and kind of getting uh, even more in front of people where maybe it seems like for a while uh, that wasn't something you were pushing a lot. Um, what is your favorite thing about being on Shark Tank? Uh, I think Shark Tank, uh, to me, represents transformation. It represents yeah. transcendence. Right? Like, take a step back. Think about what it takes to get onto Shark Tank. You have yeah. to apply. One of 40,000 people apply every year. They go through a really long process in terms of what you have to fill out and submit. These mm -hmm. are often, you know, mom and pop businesses, right? So some of the information is relatively sophisticated. Maybe your books aren't completely in order. You got to go through that. You have to have a, you have to have an idea that you're comfortable enough to put out to the world, right? Yeah. You then have to go and wait on long lines for these casting calls, like yeah. on and on and on. So just to get to the set of Shark Tank, you had to go through a transformation or a transcendence. So yep. for me, it's like glorious to sit in front of somebody and watch them having gone through that and realize what they went through in their journey from employee to employer, right? Yeah. Like yeah. That, that is amazing. So oh, yeah. I I look at my I am I, I look at my life as a relay race, right? And I'm that little baton that was being handed from one person to the next to the next to the next, being yeah. moved along my journey. 
and and here I am, and there are probably 20 people that were pivotal that passed me to the next person, right, and played a role in getting me here. Now I get to go back in time, right, yeah. and move that baton along. So I love that part. And then I love competing. Like <laughs> there is nothing nice about Shark Tank, right? Like the competition's real. The all that you see on TV is just an edited shorter version of exactly what happens in the tank, honestly. So it's not not like a reality show where it was manipulated to show a certain thing or manufactured drama. This is what it is. So I love yeah. the authenticity of it. And the first time I remember the first time I ever did it, like, you know, you don't know what to expect. I hadn't been on TV and suddenly yeah. the lights are on and you're thinking, Wait, whoa, hold on, like where's my orientation? Like, mm -hmm. um and there is no orientation, you just get going. So I love it. I love doing the deals, yeah. I love competing. Then I love trying to you know, compete to provide as much value to these entrepreneurs and at the same time win. I just did a great deal uh, on uh, the last episode I was on that involved a really cool outdoor kitchen that yeah, is like the most tricked out, tricked out tailgate device you could ever. Yeah. So it's called Tailgate and Go. And it was de developed by this wonderful family in Colorado. Uh, and it was the first time you ever had a, um, you know, a deaf contestant pitch. This you know, wonderful kid, Kobe. And it was an amazing product. And without me doing a deal, they wouldn't be able to get in front of the NFL, even though they were deserving of being in front of the NFL. Without that yeah. power of Shark Tank, it probably wouldn't have yeah. gotten traction. But within three months, we were sitting at the Super Bowl doing signing a deal with the NFL to license all those marks to 32 teams. So I just love being yeah. there at the moment of transcendence. And going back to my original point about supplying the missing piece, I get to supply the missing piece. And uh, yeah. so, you know, it's just, it's just it's an amazing honor to be a part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very it's it's exciting to see companies come on there, you know, especially when, you know, obviously there's a ton that you see go through and it's like, oh, it's a terrible idea or, uh, you know, something falls apart. But there's so many people coming in with innovative new products or, or uh, services. It's really exciting to see you guys as sharks be able to help boost that, you know, being a business owner. I know what it's like having to go from step one to step two to step three. Um, and even I, I'm excited when I get to the point at some, at some day to be able to help people. Um, I can look back now and uh, you know, I already have friends and people who, well, you're helping visit. people, you're helping, you're helping people, but putting out content, right? A lot of, yeah, exactly. like, yeah. people, like I say this all the time, like you have to find your voice. Yep. You know, there's no, there's, there's, there's no shame in talking yeah. about yourself. It's not self-aggrandizing. In fact, if anything, it's the opposite. Like you're doing your customers and yourself a disservice if you don't talk yeah. about your passion. And but why so, don't we talk a little bit about marketing while we're at it, right? Marketing. Yes. In fact, I was going to mention something. So I know I talked with you and I let you know, you know, uh, we are actually going to start trying to help firms with the marketing. And I do have to just say one thing because you said um, you have to find your voice. That's exactly where we're coming from with our marketing side. We named it Voice of Nexus because our existing really? business is. That. Yeah, our, I know you didn't. So we, we're sitting here, we looked at each other, uh, my producer and I, we looked over and we're just like, you know, that is why we named it Voice of Nexus because Nexus is where our current business's brand was. And we have found value out of the marketing side, creating a brand, telling your story. So we said, you know what, let's keep Nexus tied in as a part of us, but let's call it Voice of Nexus. And really the, the idea is we wanna help people find their voice, create the content and figure out how to use these digital platforms to get in front of people and portray that. So uh, it was great having you great. accidentally you. throw that out there. <laughs> well, you're on, you're on point, you're on trend, and I'm glad I was able to you know, inadvertently come up with your name. So, I appreciate but it. But <laughs> I, I feel really passionate about this topic. I, I, I've watched a, um, a transition take place over a number of years, right? And just to rewind, there was a period of time when the Garys of the world who were way out front 
about communicating and sharing all the details of their life where you'd get a lot of eye rolls, especially yeah. from executives. Like, I don't want to be a Gary Vaynerchuk and, yeah. and nobody cares what I had for breakfast. Like, and remember when people would say, I sent out a, a, a Twitter, you know, like they would, you know, bastardize the name and, you know, the same thing with Snapchat, whatever. But we went through like a mocking phase of derision. That was sustainable until probably about two, three years ago, where suddenly, you know, we were faced with a dilemma. You could be a CEO that has a product or an idea, and you want to get that out to the marketplace. You could go the old way, which is to try to pitch a reporter to be interested in your product, right, mm-hmm. and get them to be the filter by which you communicate. That's one path. Very inefficient and, in, and interdependent on someone else being your filter and agreeing to do the work. You could take out ads, right, which mm-hmm. is fine but very expensive. You yeah. could try to develop an email marketing list, which is very effective. It's still to this day but hard and expensive, and you need a digital presence, or you can become your own content creator. And I think what would stop people is this sort of discomfort about one, being seen, and yeah. two, feeling like you have something to say worthy of being seen and heard, yeah. right? And yeah. I'm finding that we're now in a phase where people are getting over that, where people yes. realize it's not obnoxious or self-important to go ahead and tell your story. You're just sharing, yeah. right? I mean, there's a tone that matters, and there's a, there's a message that matters. But really, you should be asking yourself, what does my customer or my constituency, my partners, need to hear and how, I can, how can I provide a service by telling them what's important to them, right, to provide yeah, exactly. value? And I, I think it's amazing like, to see that transition take place over the course of the last decade. When I, when I first married, met Gary Vaynerchuk in a bagel shop, mm-hmm. and the first 10 minutes sounded completely crazy, but the second 10 minutes, he made a bunch of predictions that ultimately changed the course of our relationship. Yeah. And one of them was, this is like 2009, one of them was the, the smartphone and social media are going to turn everyone into their own version of NBC, HBO, and Time Warner Cable, right? Like you're yeah. going to be a broadcast studio, and you're going to be able to cut out the middleman and go direct. And mm-hmm. VaynerMedia was you know, there in the, in, the, in the early days of that. But fast forward, everyone has the power to be their own content creator, and that means that you basically just can talk to your company or your constituents or your partners, your customers rather, one-to-one. So yeah. if you had a choice being able to have a direct conversation with somebody or lobby somebody else to filter it, which is mm-hmm. what the media is, right? You would yep. choose a direct conversation every day. So yeah. I'm excited because I think COVID has accelerated adoption dramatically. Oh, yeah. Unlike, I'm next, I mean, every time I open my, my email, there's a new, I'm starting a new podcast. I'm starting a yeah. new newsletter. Starting, it is. <laughs> it's kind of amazing because it, for the early adopters, I think it was probably a little bit hard to sort of be so out in front and be kind of maybe a little mocked or yep. a little bit, you know, doubted. And, yep. and now that's completely changed. So let's just talk about LinkedIn for a second and what you're doing. Like, I think LinkedIn is the single most underestimated content yeah. machine ever unleashed and known to man. It I think is. it eclipses Facebook. It eclipses Instagram for a few reasons. One, there the whole platform is designed to put content in front of ever more people and yeah. to reward went to reward quality content that is well received by whatever that audience is. And so it is easier to get to reach people on a, with a message on LinkedIn than it is on any other platform, arguably in the world. And I yep. think people, you know, maybe have an outmoded view of uh, outdated view of LinkedIn as being kind of a job board or whatever. Yeah. It's so much more, much more powerful than that. So yeah. if I have only, if I have somebody's ear for only one minute, sorry, if I have somebody's, um, somebody's attention for only one minute and they ask me what should I do to build you know my audience I always say invest your time in LinkedIn and it doesn't yep. you don't have to go crazy post you know Tuesday Wednesday Thursday yeah post regularly 
post it, you know, whatever, 8 a.m. in the or, you know, 6 p.m., but commit to it and yeah. lower the bar to content creation. Yes. Like, it doesn't have to be a revelation. It's not an exactly. epiphany. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be somebody, somebody can go out and day trade on your recommendation. It yeah. just has to have, it just has to have value exactly. and it has to be authentic. And yep. so, you guys, just take the first step. Just post yeah. something, post something crappy, you know, just get exactly. going. So it's good that you're using your insights to teach other people because I think it's incredibly powerful and underestimated. Yep, it is. And, and you know, you always get that uh, response from people of like, well, I don't, you know, I don't think it is or I don't have time to do the post. So, you know, and again, right. that's where that's where we're trying to reach to people and say like, you know, if it's more important for you to focus on something else, there are firms, which is why we're even starting, that will help you. Like you, for a for an incremental amount, you can have someone do the posting, you know, create content, create articles, um, but there is still the personal side that you do lack if you your, yourself don't get on and interact some, which I see you do very well, um, and you write very well Thank as you. well. <laughs> no, I, I feel very strongly that if you want to understand a system, you first have to be a practitioner, right? Oh, yes. And the way yep. you practitioners you sit in the stream of information so that's so everything you see is me i have yep. heather harder on my team is amazing i have an incredible head of director of comms and marketing and we'll spitball and brainstorm ideas and she'll edit my work yeah. or she'll make suggestions and like we're doing it together but i write the work i care about mm-hmm. it i'll go on i answer because i i want to understand it right I like yeah i want to understand the rhythm of the platform i want to understand what resonates i want to understand what doesn't resonate like and that's how i approach my entire life like I get very much into the weeds at the beginning of anything, oh, yeah. and then I step, and then I step back. Right yeah. once I start understanding how it works. So the important thing that for people to remember out there who are first starting out, especially on LinkedIn, don't focus on follower growth as much because that'll yeah. frustrate you. It takes a long time to get followed. What matters is reach and engagement. So mm-hmm. what's great about LinkedIn is you can have you know 200 followers and a post you made reach 5,000 people. Yeah. Because it was quality and the algorithm, whoever he or she may be, whatever drives it that much, I don't know. The algorithm has has determined that you are worthy and distributes your content. So even somebody with a very small following can yeah. have a very big reach. And you can't say that about Instagram or you know or other, uh, other social yeah. media tools. Very much so. And that's where, uh, like you said, quality of the content and the frequency, the amount of, of content, because not every single post will be something that resonates with every single person yeah. you're connected with, but you post a variety of things that are useful within your realm. You get people that enjoy it. Their network sees it. It gets shared out. Um, and ultimately, you know, how many of those people do you need to then want to interact with you on a business transaction? No, right, exactly. Uh, he, and sometimes you'll miss. Sometimes you'll miss. I put out something yeah. the other day that really mattered to me. It was a cartoon that I had worked on. And you know what? It, it like it didn't resonate and I didn't care because it mm-hmm. resonated with me and my intentions were pure. So yeah. you know, that's gonna happen. Like exactly. you don't have a crystal ball, you're not Nostradamus, like you don't exactly understand, yep. you know, human behavior. And by the way, it's not entirely the object of the exercise. If a tree falls in a forest and nobody hears it, did it really fall? There is some truth to that, but yeah. at the same time, like Part of this should be cathartic for you too, because you're sharing mm-hmm. something you believe in. So, hey, yeah. if it only resonates with a hundred people or fifty people, at some point, who cares? You know, and, yeah. and over time, you'll understand what does resonate. And, and tactics really matter, which is why I'm glad you're starting what you're starting. There's little tactics on every platform that make all the difference in the world. I've had people come to me so frustrated, like, Matt, I put all this work into a post. Like, I don't understand it. I did all this curation. You know, it didn't go anywhere. So let me ask you a question. Though. Did you put a link in the body of the post? And they're like, yeah, I put this thing in here. I was like, that's why. What do you mean? I don't know. For some reason, the algorithm punishes uh, links. So if you have a link inside your thing, unless it's a link to within LinkedIn, it punishes distribution 
let's just use common sense. It's probably because they want people to stay within the community, yeah. right? Yeah. So put your put your link in the first comment instead, and people will and refer people down to the comment, and then it gets distribution. Those yep. little tactics matter a lot. So anybody who's watching this right now, I just want you to know that you have no excuse for not going ahead and figuring out, you know, what how it all works because it's all on the interweb. Like exactly. if you spend two days. You could become a LinkedIn expert and know as go. much as I do. Reading up, you know, and in reality, that's true for everything. We are we have no excuse for not knowing how to do things anymore. Like every single topic is covered. Yeah. Okay. I know we're. I want to keep. Uh, yeah. Let's do, on time. let's do one more. Yeah. So um, my next thing would be technology. Um, you know, again, being some of our focus of our network, I'd love to ask a few questions around there. Yeah. Um, first one will be: Have you ever heard of three D laser scanning? I mean, of course, right? Exactly. I don't have any particular subject matter expertise. Sure. Oh, we just lose, lost your connection for just a second. I think we're back. Okay, I'm back. Yeah. Yes. So, so laser scanning is a big focus for our network, um, as well as drones and data capture within like the architectural construction type realm. Um, so we kind of wanted to just engage and see, is that something you've heard of? Is it something you see used um, even, even from like well, a- Well, I'm, I'm a- I mean, I mean, I, I am, I'm very deeply involved in drones. Actually, my, uh, I'm the first investor in the drone racing league. Yep. So, which is a sport for those who don't know, where we race drones against each other. We have the, uh, we have the Guinness Book of World Records for the high for the fastest drone, and um, and we organize competitions all over the world with the highest, best trained uh, drone pilots anywhere. But that basically have to navigate through these impossibly tight spaces with first-person viewing with goggles. And what I love about the sport is, one, well, it's fun to create a sport from scratch and try to make oh, it sure. work, which is very hard. I don't recommend everybody at home try it. But once you get traction, it's amazing. And this was already happening as in a, from a hobbies level, so we helped organize it. But, two, the technical challenges that we have to overcome all the time to make it work are amazing. One, yeah. how to make faster drones, obviously, is one piece. But also, how do you reduce the latency between the pilot and the drone so that oh, by yeah. the time the pilot knows I need to turn, you know, it hasn't crashed into a wall. It's not too late. So the radio, <laughs> so the radio technology that we've developed to make the drone racing where we work is unbelievable. Like we have to get radio signals through concrete and make sure that, that there's no latency between that and the pilot. Yeah. So, you know, that's probably my biggest technological bet that I love. I mean, I, I love everything about drones. I mean, I've, I actually, it's funny you said that I just had them send me the simulator setup so that I, I was like, let me use some of my time over the next month to become like a, a badass drone pilot. So drone that's, that's one, of my, one of my hobby projects right now. There you go. Yeah, I heard uh, I heard you guys are doing pretty good with kind of the virtual uh, simulation type stuff, right? Yeah, it's doing very well, very interesting. And look, people are right now are looking for content and new ways to be competitive and to be entertained. So it yeah. falls right in our sweet spot. That's awesome. What about virtual yeah. reality? And this could be just a quick touch. Like, have you d- jumped in and kind of played with VR much or we seen have. some real world application out there? Yeah, we have. We're we're in a company called NextVR, which uh, was we were pretty early into it about uh, about bringing sports to the masses through virtual reality. I'm actually surprised why. If you had asked me three years ago, I would have thought VR would have a lot more applications on the consumer space than has materialized. Right? Sure. And I've been to Magic Leap down in Florida, which is amazing what they're doing with VR. Um, but I don't feel like I've seen the sort of B two C consumer traction on VR really take hold. I think what gets me more excited about VR is B2B applications, right? How to go ahead and have somebody who's fixing something on an oil drill in the middle of nowhere be able to pull it up on VR. Like, I love all the various B2B applications around construction and technology. They'd be able to share learning in a way that's never been done before and put somebody in their environment. That, to me, is fantastic. 
Yeah. I, I've gotten out of the business of trying to make consumer predictions on virtual reality because I'm not yep. sure why it hasn't, hasn't manifested yet. Yeah. I, don't know what, I don't know what the business is. Yeah, the business side, like you just mentioned, is where we've seen a lot of interest from, like you said, uh, places that have critical infrastructure, that have hazardous sites, oil and gas facilities, chemical, nuclear, being able to take like laser scanning, document a building virtually, let trainees walk through the actual building in VR through a model with simulations rather than going in a hazardous site, spending time on site, the cost of travel, Incredible. and then Right. And then even taking that to a smaller level, that's the type of stuff we work on where an airport, an office building is being renovated. And instead of working on old 2D drawings and plans, you laser scan the area. You give an architect and a mechanical engineer the digital replica of the building so that when they design, they can fit it to the actual structure that's there. And then again, let people actually see what the new building will look like before it's ever built. Make changes, prefabricate, reduce costs. Um, so those are those are a lot of the areas that our network focuses within the technology space. I'm with you. I actually I'm 100% with you. I think that B2B, especially around training, construction, mm -hmm. engineering, has unlimited application and is very excited. I just don't, and I think it's probably going to be. The chicken and the egg, which comes first, I think the B2B will continue to become more robust, and there'll yeah. be some application that excites the minds around yeah. probably gaming in a more sophisticated sure. way, I would think. But, you know, even having gone to, to, to Magic Leap and I got to meet their, I forgot her name, but the equivalent of Alexa, who's meant to guide me through this virtual world. Yep. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> to me, that was actually the most interesting part of the entire pres you know uh, presentation. But I just don't know on the consumer side, but the B2B yeah. side is very, 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 very real. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's all I got from a, pseudo, from a pseudo futurist. That's all I know on this that area. Is, that's great. No, we just wanted to hear your input because again, this is where our network, a lot of us are focused on this tech, but we see that the biggest struggle for us is the lack of knowledge. So we, we try to reach out and find out like, who's heard about this stuff? Is there interest? Because we, once a client of ours finds out about the technology, they find that it's very useful, saving them time, it's improving safety. So, you know, again, that's our point with this, this uh, educational platform is trying to make awareness of these new technologies and how they're used within the actual construction and infrastructure, you know, jobs. And I would imagine where it takes place, the, you know, the earliest adoption is where there's a big inefficiency between the amount of money and expense yeah. to get labor in a certain environment, right? Yeah. The ability to replicate that, and then second, to bring down mistakes, right, to improve yeah. quality control, which yep. I'm sure is dramatically improved by, you know, so those that will be the early adopters because there's the greatest amount of efficiencies and money to be saved, right? And yep. then you can kind of move on. So I sent some industries, you know, medicine eventually, right? Like yeah. there may be a little bit later to adopt it. Some mm -hmm. of them are a little bit more resistant to change and innovation. So, but yeah, uh, yeah but on, but on the consumer side, I'm just not really sure when it when yeah. it'll take when it'll take hold. All right, we got our last topic here, and this is just kind of okay. more general to all businesses. Um, obviously, we're sitting here in the time of shutdown, the economy, the you know cities, the states. Um, so maybe just touching a little bit here on ways we can encourage some of the businesses in our network that are out of work due to this and maybe some of the leaders. Um, so we'll start with just a couple questions. Uh, let's start with leadership. What's an, a defensive action and an offensive action that leaders in a company should be making right now uh, with what's going on? That's a great point. I mean, I, I think number, number one, I do believe showing up in a crisis is half the battle. Yep. You know, and I think just you need to just show up. 
right? And, and you know, that's obvious. I think we're past that phase. Yeah. I think, too, the object of the game is survival, is time, right? Whereas, you know, two months ago, the object of the game was path to profitability. Now it's it's length of survival and runway, right? Like yeah. everything is about extending your supply lines and your provisions to last you as long as humanly possible. So the first exercise with all my companies was, all right, how do we elongate our runway mm-hmm. so that we can come out the other side of it, right? And yeah. I think that can be easy and intuitive for some people who have a kind of a defensive mindset, but I actually think it's a little harder for people who are optimistically wired because yeah. your assumptions tend to be more optimistic than pessimistic. So interestingly, the first phase of crisis management favors the defensive mindset because that person who already had dire predictions about the way the world was going to play out. And so I think it's important to take a step back and audit all your decision making to determine which one are you operating on old assumptions. So, for example, you know, I own a ton of restaurants and whatnot, and a key assumption is when will walk the line come back? When will people be back in our stores and buying yeah. as opposed to delivery? If we get that number wrong and we're too optimistic, we could miss our end of our burn by three, four months and be out yeah. of business long before the economy ever recovered. So I do yep. think, number one, audit your, uh, audit your assumptions and then, Focus on survival and running. When, when, you're, when you're past that phase, I think a really important part of the process needs to be don't reflexively rush to rebuild the business that you had prior to COVID yeah. and say, how can I get my business? Ask yourself, if I were launching my business today, what yeah. business would I do? Yeah, it's a nuanced exactly. point, but, but, and I'll give a reason why it's so important. And a number of my different businesses where uh, an opportunity emerged that wasn't even on the original pitch deck that we've been treating as like a sideshow. It's not really the main event because we mm-hmm. built a ton of stores or we didn't. But then we, in this moment in time, we take a step back and say, wait a minute, that opportunity is actually higher margin, yeah. easier to scale. It doesn't require real estate or brick and mortar. Like all the different conditions that are no longer favored in this universe, this sideshow, it should be the main event because it doesn't depend upon it, right? Exactly. So it's an important point to ask yourself, should I be pivoting? And then I think yeah. last one's probably more spiritual and emotional. You should ask yourself like, what issues that are challenges that I'm facing were uh, present before COVID or were yeah. caused by COVID? Because what yeah. I found is some people have wanted to conflate the two and put them all into one big basket. Like everything is yeah. screwed because of the virus. And it's like, is that really true? Or uh-huh. did you have problems in your business that existed prior to? And you have problems in your business that were caused. You need to address the former first before you can address the latter, right? You yep. need to go ahead and deal with issues that already existed prior to the problem. Be really honest with you. Because here's the exciting part. We have all been stripped bare and brought mm-hmm. to our knees by this crisis. We have no shame. Yeah. We have nothing left to hold on yep. to. We are all vulnerable and afraid, which opens up a tremendous opportunity for growth. So there's no yeah. shame my in acknowledging, like, you know what? Like, my company wasn't built to scale. Or I wasn't really that happy doing what I was doing before, or this really didn't make sense, or my team wasn't built the right way, and I need to make some changes. So, And then from that moment, when you've gone through this entire sequence, you could focus on the opportunity. And I'll leave Mm -hmm. this last point. I believe that that successful people can always find a way. Like, I know, oh, Matt, you're giving bad advice. Some businesses are determined to fail. I'm not saying that the way they find a way is by doing exactly what they did before. I'm saying I believe every human being in every business has the capacity to iterate to an opportunity if you are open-minded, and that self-awareness is the greatest arbitrage we have in business and in our personal lives. So to any business out there that is struggling and you feel like you're doomed, I call bullshit on that, that I really think – if you look at what you've done, if you were able to launch a business in the first place, and you had the courage to go out on your own, quit your job, assemble capital, do all, leave your, you know, miss your kids' soccer practices, you already went through all that pain. 
if your business is somewhere be rendered, you know, dramatically affected by COVID, pivot. You know, find mm-hmm. a way to go ahead and move into a different area and apply that same strength. Go back to basics, become scrappy again. You know, mm-hmm. so I I refuse to accept that. You know, the vast majority of businesses cannot find a way to sort of pivot. But you, yep. what usually gets in a way is bad assumptions. You know, a resistance to be self aware. You know, a, a, a refusal to acknowledge that things weren't going perfectly beforehand. So maybe it's an overly optimistic or Pollyanna's view of the world, but I've seen it play out over and over and over again. Yeah. If you adopt that. You adopt that yeah. mindset. So. I agree, and I'm cheering and I for everybody out point. there. I mean, I really, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks that, you, that listen to you and watch you are in a tough spot with the construction industry and a lot of things yep. seizing up. But I tell you, you know, I'll leave you with this. I was the I was the mayor's press secretary on September 11th, 2001. I was standing with the mayor soon after the tower struck. I spent mm-hmm. two years of my life, um, every minute at Ground Zero, as probably the second employee of the rebuilding effort while the towers were still burning. Yep. And what I found was the the fear-based predictions we made at that time ended up not materializing. So what were the fear-based ones? We're never going to go on high rises again. Yeah. We're never going to feel safe again. You know, like we're just all these predictions, right? You know, a year later, we had the our optimistic spirits, you know, rose again. And yeah. But what we did hold on to were new learnings. Yes. Uh, we got new learnings around security around building construction so that a core of a building does not melt and disintegrate, you know, under enormous mm-hmm. stress, like improvements in safety protocol. Obviously, we fought a war to try to, to, to beat back terrorism, right? The same will be true of COVID. The predictions that are based upon fear about how we're never going to want to affiliate again, we're never going to go to stadiums again, we're never, mm-hmm. that is complete nonsense. I will bet my entire life on it, right? It may take 18 months to materialize until yeah. the all clear sounded, probably in the form of a, of a vaccine or, or antibody tests or widespread testing. So we will take the fear and leave it behind. We will keep the optimizations. So yes. all you business owners, so ask yourself this. Some things that will change are we now, every level of decision maker now feels like working from home is a viable option for some elements of it. Mm-hmm. That means real estate compositions are going to change dramatically. Uh, the bar to travel has now gone significantly higher. Mm-hmm. Decision makers like myself now feel comfortable doing a Zoom meeting. So think about it. You won't have to get on a plane anymore to pitch. Because yeah. the guy on the other end doesn't want to come to you either. And you're like, why don't we get on a video call? That seemed to yeah. work during the time of COVID. So I would say to yourself, if you want to, if you have a little bit of time to meditate and reflect, think about those lasting changes that are about optimizations that were uh, revealed during this eight-week period. Those are going to stay with us. And does that open up new opportunities for your business, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need to reopen your office space necessarily. Oh, right? Yeah. So all that you were spending... Just don't open your office again, right? Yeah. You don't need to send yeah. your employees to conferences anymore because virtual reality conferences are going to be what it's all about, right? Exactly. Like, why the hell am I getting on a plane again and spending all that money? So, I don't know. Yeah. I, my entire life, I came from dirt. I came from nothing. I'm always sure that there's a way, there's a hole, there's a path. You just got to sort of, like, unshackle yourself from all your old logic and yep. open your eyes and go for it. Yeah, and I think this is a great time for people to do that and kind of relaunch where, um, you know, in the day-to-day life when there isn't something like this going on, so many people find it hard to unveil that curtain and kind of look in their peripherals. They're they're right. stuck in their in their day-to-day. Um, so trying, you know, using this as a reset time to learn and find ways to be innovative and well, be Well, that would creative. be another piece of a little bit of a tactic to your point. Like, uh, audit your calendar. There should not be more than three scheduled things on your calendar a day during this period because you are wasting a tremendous opportunity to allow your mind to roam, right? Yeah. Like, you know, today I violated that rule. I had like six, seven things. I'm like, no, this is a terrible day. 
I didn't do anything innovative. I didn't think I was just only acting. And so, you know, take advantage of this time. It's going to be over yeah. and you're going to lament that you wasted the opportunity. That's, yeah. I think, one of the biggest forms of cognitive dissonance that I predict that's going to happen is people lamenting, ugh, I didn't use that time well. You know, I was so yeah. focused on getting out of the house. I didn't spend enough energy thinking about what I'm going to do in the house. Yep. <laughs> right. So I'm trying to be like, damn, this is going to end. I want it to end. I want people, I want people to resume their normal lives to an, you yeah. know, to an extent, obviously. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I, I use this time the right way so that the legacy yep. of this terrible chapter is something positive that comes out of it. You know, so uh, yeah. everybody got to become your own little Isaac Newton who developed the, you know, theory of, of, uh, of, of gravitation while, you know, in uh, quarantine. Then, you, you know, you need to do what, what is your own, you know, universal theory of gravity? Yep. Well, Matt, we thank you for joining uh -huh. us today. We, uh, we respect your time. So we'll wrap up here. Um, my virtual handshake and, uh, you know, in the Let's future, the there we, oh yeah, we got to do the elbows or something. All right. Excellent. Yep. And then in so the nice future, we, we hope to connect with you again. And, uh, you know, once we are allowed to shake hands again, we might even have you in the studio at some point. Okay. Well, good luck with your new business, by the way, you're doing a great service and there's a great need for it. So, and now is a better time to launch it. So I want you to see, you know, get your act together and get going already, you know, get out there. I want you to win at least five clients during, before the quarantine ends. So I'm, next I'm week. All right. Do it. All right. Well, thank right. you again, and That's we will uh, talk to you again soon. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care.